Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by McDermott Financial Solutions. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years as a banker to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have three great guests on our show today. Uh, Lisa McGuire. Uh, Lisa, welcome to Profit Sense. Andrew Thank you for Sullivan having me. With Sullivan and Schleeman. Andrew, so glad to have you today. Thank you, Bill. And Craig Pate with Wilson Lewis. Craig, welcome. So glad that you're on the show today. Morning. Thank you. Lisa, I'm going to start with you. Marketing. Marketing is so confusing, especially to left brain people like me. 2020 has certainly been a year of disruption for so many industries. I'm sure marketing is no exception. Can you revisit what you've seen in marketing for 2020 and the impact it has had on companies? Sure, Bill. Wow, 2020. Uh, it's been an unthinkable year. Nobody could have predicted this. Um, everything we knew in every industry, it, it kind of came to a grinding halt. Everything that we operated by, all of our rules, uh, it, everything shifted. And so we knew the pandemic was coming. We heard about it, uh, but we could never have imagined that our economy would have been impacted the way it was. And so just like everyone else, marketers responded the same way. There was, you know, first of all, shock and awe, what's happened to us? Um, there was denial. This can't be happening to us. Uh, a confusion about now what do we do? There's no history to have based this on. Um, just ignorance about how to move forward. And then finally, acceptance. So it's almost the stages uh, that one would go through um, if you were thinking about grieving. Everything that we knew before had suddenly changed. Uh, so what we saw with marketers, a lot of them uh, are in companies, uh, they went silent. When they didn't know what to do, they, they got stuck. They became paralyzed. Um, so they pulled their marketing. They pulled their marketing budget. Some people decided, you know what, I'm going to just keep moving forward as if nothing happened. Um, but what happened is when their marketing went out, the customer was really listening to it, thinking, do you know what? It's going on in my life. Like, aren't you awake? Aren't you seeing what's going on? So those people looked a little bit like they weren't in tune with things. Um, and so what marketers did is they looked at what are the new platforms that were possible? Um, so what we saw is people suddenly becoming very generous. Uh, I don't know about you, but I saw lots of people presenting free webinars, masterclasses, free online training, People that had been speakers were speaking free just to get their name out there. Sure. Uh, but what we saw in the first three months of COVID, 
we really vaulted 10 years ahead in our consumer and business digital penetration. Now, here's an interesting statistic. 46% of people switched brands. Wow. Think about that. 46%. 46%. And the reason why is they were able to get online and look at some of the options out there. There was a lot more pouring into the internet. We also saw a 30% increase in e-commerce. So there were businesses that had not been online and particularly brick and mortar stores that had products to sell. So they had to figure out, okay, how do I get online? How do I make an e-commerce site? So they were able to switch. Um, And we also saw a lot of concerns about shopping safely and also convenience. You know, think about how much more convenience we want now because we've been quarantined. Oh yeah, so lots I, of shifts. I, yeah, I think my uh, my Prime account uh, is uh, is on steroids here lately. Uh, um, so yeah, e-commerce is is definitely a thing. Uh, marketing is about reaching a prospect and converting them to a customer. What do business owners need to? Con- consider now when they're trying to find new leads and win them over into becoming clients? Yeah, so I would really love for all of your listeners to consider this. We've all had three types of customers this year. We had the pre-pandemic customer. So that's what, you know, how we used to operate. That pre-pandemic customer, they knew the rules of the road, everything was going well. Uh, then we had that early pandemic customer. So that was the customer that was confused. Uh, when people started talking about the new normal, there was a rebellion. People saying, I don't want a new normal. I want to go back to the old normal. Sure. And so people started hunkering down. And really, just if you think about it, what was important, if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it was all about survival. Toilet paper. Am I going to have enough toilet paper? Yep. Water, hand sanitizer. And then we saw a run on food, you know, food supply in the grocery stores. Um, so everyone went back to some of their primal uh, instincts in that. And now that we're in pandemic, uh, there's an acceptance. We're not going back to normal. We're going to move forward. And so we shop differently. We consume differently. Our priorities have shifted. And so you have to think about who is your customer now and how do they operate? So my recommendation moving forward is we have to remain agile. Sure. Just really understanding your customers. So you talked about shifts in consumer behavior. Uh, Some of these shifts have caused change, but talk a little bit about what types of shifts have you seen in marketing this year that are probably not going away? Well, absolutely is online. If you are not online, you need to be online. And I'll probably say that again before we end our conversation, (laughs) Bill. (laughs) Uh, But really, when you are online, be really wise about your interactions. And uh, I think we've all seen a great example of this if you are on LinkedIn. If you have been on LinkedIn before the pandemic, You kind of knew the rules of the road. But when the pandemic happened and people had more time and accessibility to get on LinkedIn, we've really seen uh, an increase in the the number of people connecting 
but also a different behavior in how people are, uh, what they're doing after they're connecting. Uh, and here's what it is. You have to think about being online is just like being in person. You have to develop that relationship. You have to pique their curiosity first. Why would I want to connect with you? Or why would I want to do business with you? What do you do that's so different from the hundred other people in your industry that I know? Tell me how you're different. And then teach me a little bit, maybe more about what you do that's different. And then finally, it's making that commitment to work with you. Well, how, what do I need to know about you so I trust you to do business with you? So it's still the relationship laws. Yeah, and uh, not only relationships, but my experience is people buy differences. They don't really mm-hmm. buy similarities. Uh, so your your point about differentiation is is really spot on. And so what I'd like to do is shift our discussion to business owners uh, because of these changes in buyer's behavior, because of digital marketing, what recommendations can you give to business owners as we finish out 2020? Yes, I think if if you're watching the discussions happening online, there's a lot of frustration, particularly with all that we're having happen in society, the political climate, the culture, all of that. Uh, And I think people just want 2020 to go away. So they're uh, tending to throw their hands up. They want to try to get through the year as quickly as possible. And I would encourage your listeners not to do that. This is prime real estate opportunity between now and 2021 to try and resuscitate the year if you haven't had a good year or, or maximize what you have, but also to be planning for 2021. You want to be able to hit the ground running. It's going to be a refresh and a reset. So what can you be doing now in your business to be ready to hit the ground running in 2021? That's one thing. Second thing I would suggest is really taking time to dig in to understand who your customer is now and what problems do they have. And their problems have likely shifted. So how can you be the problem solver? How can you guide them with that new problem they have, the new situations that are adding a wrinkle into their their complexity of what they have? And third is people are not as loyal as they once were. You heard that statistic. So really work with your online presence to try to build that trust, to pull out the benefits of working with you. People want to know what's in it for them. So how can you communicate that? Uh, So those would be the three things I would suggest for your business owners. And so I know uh, given all the changes that have gone on in 2020. And to your point, certainly don't write off 2020, but also set the table for 2021. For a business that wants to remain sustainable and strong as they go into 2021, what's the best piece of advice that you can give to uh, companies today? So I'm actually going to give two pieces, Bill. That's going to be, if you don't have a sales funnel, you need to build one and you need to build one online. Now, what that is, is making sure you have a very strong website that converts, not just getting people to the site, 
but making sure once they get on the site, it converts them into customers. Also having a lead generator. You know, a lot of people will depend on social media to drive people to their website. You also need a lead generator because that will qualify people who want to work with you. And then you'll have their emails and then you have time to build that online relationship with them through an email nurturing campaign and when it's time a sales campaign. So that's the first, build that sales funnel. The second, don't rely on social media alone to build your business. That email list is important. And the reason why you don't want to just rely on social media or build a community and that's where your business lives is it takes the internet going down, Facebook going down, Instagram having a blip, them deciding they're going to change the rules and your whole business is within that social media platform. Same for LinkedIn. You've got to have that online presence and you've got to own that list. And when people are on your phone, so your business owner is on your phone, it shows up in the email, even if they don't open it, you are still top of line. So I would do that um, and make sure that you keep learning and growing. And I do have one thing to offer your listeners. Um, As you mentioned before, uh, I am a StoryBrand certified guide and I'm also a business made simple coach. Uh, So I do have an offer. If your listeners would like to text the word LEARN, L-E-A-R-N, to the number 33777, uh, I'll make sure you get a free subscription to the Business Made Simple daily emails. It's about a three-minute video by Don Miller, and it will make you money and show up in your inbox every morning. It's a great way to start the day. Great. Well, thank you for that offer, and and listeners, uh, please take advantage of that opportunity. Lisa, as we kind of close our interview, talk a little bit about who your ideal client is and the services that you offer. Sure, absolutely. So my ideal client is someone who has left corporate America. Uh, They've decided they want to go out and build their own business because they want the freedom and flexibility. And typically what happens, they get into that business and instead of spending 90% of the time doing the work they love, they spend 90% of the time figuring out how to run the business. So business owners that have relied on word of mouth, referral marketing, and they've never really figured out how to do marketing, that is my ideal client. Coming in and recognizing their zone of genius, their point of difference, and how to help them communicate that with a message that would resonate with their client and then build that sales funnel. Um, And then, Bill, as you know, I also love working on personal branding, helping people understand who you are and why they would want to do business with you versus someone else. So what that looks like is I do marketing consulting. So if it's a personal branding project or helping you build that sales funnel, getting your website up, lead generators, email campaigns, and then also acting as a business coach to help you shore up your business activities, get your mission statement out there, get your team productive, I just love seeing business owners win and I love the opportunity to have a conversation. Well, that is great. And so if someone uh, out in our listening audience uh, 
is interested, how do they get in touch with you? Sure, a couple of ways. Um, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Lisa McGuire on LinkedIn. And then also Lisa at lisamaguire.com. And my uh, cell phone is 678-520-7660. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for your time today and also sharing uh, the marketing expertise that you have with our listening audience. I'm grateful. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. And so I want to uh, spend some time now with Andrew Sullivan. Andrew uh, is with Sullivan and, Sullivan and Schleeman. Uh, Andrew, our relationship, I think, dates back about, uh, about 25 years. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about managing people's money, uh, there is a trust element uh, that certainly goes into that. And, and we'll talk about that more in the future. Um, but I really want to just kind of start out with uh, uh, the Andrew Sullivan, the Sullivan and Schleeman story. So talk a little bit about the history of the firm, uh, your background. You and I spent some time together in banking, as well as the qualifications of the firm. Well, thank you, Bill. And, and matter of fact, the, it's been over 30 years. And, and, and matter of fact, the first client that I still have is the same client that you had that matter of fact, the same client that Craig Pate's predecessor firm dealt with. So it's an interesting relationship that we started out together in that at SunTrust. Wow. And then that same relationship is still in existence and it's now gone multi-generational. So now I'm dealing with grandchildren and even great grandchildren of the original matriarch and patriarch. So uh, I'm a a big believer in long-term relationships when I take a client on. So a little bit about my background, I am a University of Georgia grad uh, in finance and investment management. I have a master's in international business from Georgia State, and then I have a certified financial planning designation from Oglethorpe. So we currently, uh, as I said, spent 20 years at SunTrust. My business partner and I left SunTrust in August of 08. And if you remember those times, the world was coming to an end. And every day the world got worse and worse and worse until March. Uh, But we made it through. And I will tell you, during that very difficult time, probably some of the most creative thinking and ideas and hard work came out of that time. Um, We currently uh, manage around $650 million of assets, a few companies, but mostly individuals and their relatives. And that's that's the way the book um, is comprised. We we're growing to the tune of about 50 or between Josh and I, about 50 or 60 million dollars per year. Um, we are a fee based asset manager. We are a very large 10,000 foot view, holistic financial planning. Get really intrusive into your life so we know everything, every aspect about you. Uh, Craig and I have a mutual client. He says, yep, he's going to ask you a lot of questions. You're going to think a lot of them are very nosy and intrusive. But in order for us to be able to truly know you and make thorough recommendations, we got to know everything possibly about you. Absolutely. A little bit about our firm. So I'm sure you're seeing this. Uh, There are savers uh, and there are spenders. Uh, I haven't found too many people that are kind of in between, uh, but I'd really like to uh, kind of hear from you. Uh, the overall importance of a budget, uh, what it does, why you should have one, 
Uh, so talk a little bit about budgeting with our listening audience, Andrew. I can. It's also, Lisa, I think, brought up some good points about the COVID. If I could address a little bit about what we're seeing as a result of the COVID, too, with respect to our clients. Please. So we've got a number of clients we've had for a number of years that have reacted quite well to the COVID crisis, as they have many other crises that we've gone through with them. The interesting thing is the longer they are clients, the more times, as I say, they've been to the rodeo, so to speak, with me, the more confident, the more trusting they become, and the less likely they are to do things that they probably shouldn't do in the wrong times. And so two things that we greatly pride ourselves on in the practice. One, we will tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. And sometimes those are very tough conversations. And the second one is we we really earn our pay when we're making sure you don't do the wrong things at the wrong time. And there's a natural knee-jerk reaction when we have a crisis like COVID to go to cash and do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so we had many, many uh, of these discussions with clients. And fortunately, we, we were able to keep the vast majority of clients from doing the wrong things at the wrong time. We had a few, and they now will kind of look back and regret that because this COVID quickly took the economy and the market down, but then we are now at record highs just a, a mere six months later. Sure. So those that's what we try to do is making sure that the client uh, is doing the right things at the right time, which kind of then leads into the issue of the budget. You know, if you do the budgeting, which is very difficult, if you do the budget, it, it, it saves you a lot of grief. And it, it causes the you to not have to make those rash decisions when times get very, very tough. Okay. So is there any particular aspect about budgeting that you want to cover? No, I'd just uh, like to maybe have you hit the high points sure. uh, you feel are important. Sure. Well, so let me just, I, I prepared a little bit of uh, what are what are six points as to why it, it, it is important to budget. Because that's probably one of the toughest things when we go and meet with a potential client. It's probably one of the toughest tasks we can get a client to do that they don't want to do. Can you put together for me a budget? Oh, I'd rather have a root canal. (laughs) But it is so critical to the beginning basic building block to a successful financial plan. We've got to get a budget. And we usually ask a client to put together two budgets, sort of what we call a noodle Roni's budget. One that just says, look, what's the bare minimum it takes to operate your household? And then we say, give us a, a lifestyle budget, a budget that you want to really, you don't want to eat noodleronis all the time. What's a lifestyle you want to live and give us that reasonable budget. But I think by budgeting, the six points I want to make as to why it's important to budget. I mean, one, a budget helps you keep your eye on the prize. And, and everybody's prize is different. That prize may be building a, a second home or a retirement or sending their kids to, to, to college or you, you pick it. The important thing is, is you have to have that goal, but you have to have the budget so you can figure out how quickly you can achieve that goal, whatever that may be. Okay. Another, another important one is it helps you ensure you don't spend money you don't have. And, and with the introduction a number of years ago with plastic, prior to that, if you didn't have the money, you didn't get to spend it. But when right. plastic and credit came into the equation, many people sort of said, well, you know what? That's not really spending. I'll deal with it later. And they get themselves in terrible, terrible financial trouble. So by having a budget, it keeps you from spending money that you don't have. Okay. 
Uh, a third, a third important one is uh, it helps you live. This is my goal. Helps you live a happier retirement. Okay, uh, retirement is very expensive. The earlier you start and the more you save, uh, the quicker you can become uh, have that opportunity to to uh, become financially independent and retire. You know, I'm often accused by clients, "You will save me to death." I said, "Yes, I will. I will squeeze that lemon and uh, and see how much more juice I can get out of it." Okay, <laughs> because I know how expensive things are in the future particularly in the retirement. Okay. The fourth one that helps you prepare for emergencies. It's amazing how many people that I meet with that do not not only have a budget, but they don't have an emergency fund. Very, very critical. You need to have three to six months living expenses in cash because just like COVID, COVID has taught us that we can lose our job. Uh, we can have a reduced job. Unemployment may or may not be available or it may not cover our expenses. you got to have an emergency fund to take care of these contingencies. Fifth, uh, it helps you uh, shed light on bad spending habits. I, I can be accused of this. I mean, lifestyle is a slippery slope. You don't all of a sudden just go from spending nothing to spending an excess amount. You sort of slippery slope into it. And so by taking a uh, a snapshot of your budget periodically, it's every six months, once a year. It shows you where that excess is and where you can squeeze more juice out of that lemon. And then the last one I found was interesting. It says it's better than counting sheep. By having a budget and staying on track, it allows you to sleep better at night. Um, and that's another common thing we ask uh, clients, particularly when it comes to their investment and their risk policy, is do you want to eat well or sleep well? You can't have both. And so therefore... <laughs> Therefore, having a budget allows us to make sure you can sleep better at night. Yeah, yeah, and sleeping at night is uh, is is so important. I had a had a client who had a excess cash balance uh, in his account. He was a veterinarian, and uh, I asked him about it. He said, "Yeah, that's my sleep insurance." So we've talked a little bit about budgeting. Uh, let's kind of shift to financial planning. Yep. Talk a little bit about the overall importance of financial planning, uh, when you start, what you do, uh, what you'd like our listeners to have as key takeaways today. So financial planning would be the next major step. It's sort of your, your strategic plan, your roadmap to how you get to these various goals. I, I think the foundation, as we just talked about, is the budget. But there's bigger issues once you get the budget established that you need to make sure that you're on top of. One, uh, how about your uh, life insurance? How about having, if you have children, uh, uh, wills and powers of attorney? How about the issue of making sure you're saving in a 401k and you're getting all the company match that's available? Okay, in that 401k, are you properly investing it given your age, your time frame, and your risk tolerance? Uh, how about long-term care insurance? So many things go into a successful financial plan and a successful financial life. Uh, that, that we ask these questions and we make sure we're checking all these boxes. The other thing that I will tell you as a, as a client, if you're a client of ours, you hold us accountable to do certain things. Return my calls, get me returns, make sure I can retire and I'm saving enough. But I also require accountability on your part. If I put on your laundry list, I need a budget. Or if I say, look, you have a... Um, you, you have a, uh, a need for a will or power of attorney because you have small children and you need guardians and trusts. 
I'm going to hold you accountable that guess what? The next time we talk, hey, have you done those wills and powers of attorney? Uh, I haven't gotten around to it. Guess what's on the list the next time we talk? So the accountability part is very important, but the financial plan, it's the roadmap. It's the tr uh, strategic plan to sort of pull that budget together and make sure all these other aspects of your financial life are working. Well, and those are, uh, those are so critical. So I've always held to the fact that there were seven wonders of the world, but since I've known you, I've discovered there's an eighth wonder of the world and it's called compounding. So talk about compounding and why our listeners should care. So as Albert Einstein said and quoted, uh, compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. And it is amazing what compounding can do. So as an illustration, if you have $500 and you get a 10% rate of return, next year you now have $550. The year after that at a 10% return, you now have $605. It's the ability to earn income and interest on interest and income that you earned the previous year. Very, very important. The earlier you start this investments, the more benefit you'll have in the, in the, in the long run as a result of compounding. Let me give you a prime example. If you have an individual that starts an account with just $10,000 and they earn a compounded rate of return of just 4%, at 10 years, that 10,000 is worth just a little under $15,000. At 50 years, it's worth 71,000. But if you bump it up to a 16% rate of return, and again, nobody's touting that that's practical or doable every year, but it, this is just for illustration purposes. In 10 years, that same $10,000 at 16% is a little over 44,000. And in 50 years, it's $16,707,000. Wow. So rate of return is very important, but time in the seat as far as that compounding is very important too. So the earlier you start, the better off you are, the more likely you are to hit your targets and your goals. Well, Andrew, this has been a uh, great conversation. I really enjoyed hearing the story about the first client. So that was, uh, that was very gratifying. And of course, you've done a fabulous job through the years of building many long-term relationships. Any of our listening audience, if they want to get in touch with you or in touch with the firm, what's the best way to do that? Sure. So uh, our office line is uh, 678-867-0500. That's our main office line. And Anyone in the office picks up the phone, you'll get a, a cheery, a smiling voice on the other end, willing to help in any way that he possibly can. My staff makes me look very, very good. They're a great group. Uh, the other one is our website is sswmllc.com. And you can reach me at andrew at sswmllc.com. So by all means, if we can help anyone, please reach out. Well, thanks again for sharing your experience and your expertise with our listening audience today. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Bill. And so now I'm going to spend some time with Craig Pate with Wilson Lewis. Uh, Craig, uh, we have Andrew to thank for, for introducing us. And so I really just wanted to start out with uh, hearing a little bit from you about the firm. Uh, what makes Wilson Lewis unique? as an accounting and CPA firm? 
think the thing that makes us unique, Bill, is that we really try to team up with our clients and we kind of look at our clients as part of our team. It's just not a client that we're processing a return for an audit. We're there to help make you grow because as you grow as a business, we grow as a practice too. And so uh, Andrew spent a little time, as did Lisa, talking about COVID. Uh, certainly COVID, uh, PPP loans come to mind. So what I'd like to do is obviously there has been lots of regulation, updated guidance that came out in the application process and funding process. Now we're, we're shifting to the loan forgiveness process. Uh, is there anything that you can uh, can share as far as guidance that you can give to our business owners who are listening on uh, either PPP loans, uh, on COVID, or just anything uh, relating to forgiveness? You know, the PPP loans has been ever-changing. From the very beginning, you know, every day it seems like they change the, the goalposts and keep moving it. You know, we started off with the PPPs that you could have related party rent and pay yourself rent. Now they've canceled that out. They start off with the eight week, eight week forgiveness. Now they're up to 24 weeks and they're still looking at several other things that might change. So the PPP forgiveness piece is not finalized yet, but what we're beginning to do with clients is start the forgiveness process on the ones that make sense. We have some clients that are concerned that they might have larger layoffs in the month of November and December which that could affect their PPP forgiveness. So we've already started those forgiveness in this month. Some of these other PPP loans, you know, that are smaller amounts, maybe below 150,000, we're kind of holding off on those for a little bit because we do believe that Congress at some point in time will pass a law that just automatically forgives that first 150,000 about any paperwork. What we're seeing in the forgiveness piece right now is that just like the application piece, every bank has their own way of doing it. Some banks are pretty simple. You just upload payroll reports and it's a done deal, click a few box. Other banks are more elaborate and requiring a lot more information. And so I'll tell listeners to take the time to go ahead and log into their portals at their banks and see kind of what they do need to apply for and what supporting documents that they will need. So I want to switch, uh, shift the conversation a little bit to uh, liquidity, uh, talk a little bit about cash. Uh, the saying goes that cash is king. In your opinion, for a business owner, and I realize it will vary depending on the industry, um, but generally how much, in your opinion, does a business owner need to hold in cash uh, to operate their business well and with a cushion? It does depend on each industry, but my rule of thumb has always been that we need about six months worth of good operating cash unless we have some expansions going forward. I always look at it that receivables sometimes takes between 60 and 90 days to collect. So we need about six months worth of that buffer there. So in case we have a downturn in the economy like we had for the um, pandemic, we have time to kind of change around a little bit. Um, anything past six months, I think that's a little bit excess cash, which I don't like to keep in the companies because that excess cash is at risk. So I know that we have a client that we're sharing right now that actually, despite COVID, uh, is doing quite well. Uh, this particular client 
uh, is considering buying a building. Uh, there are some tax and accounting issues that have to be satisfied. So for anyone out there who might be contemplating uh, buying or constructing a building, can you speak to some of the tax and accounting issues that they need to keep in mind as part of doing that? Well, yes. You know, the first part is that if we're acquiring a building, um, I first try to keep that out of our operating company so we can kind of keep our risk buckets balanced out properly. So we usually try to set those commercial properties up in some small LLCs. Um, there are some tax benefits, depends on the type of building. You can do some cost segregation studies because parts of the buildings might depreciate faster than other parts. For typical, most typical buildings, the depreciation schedule is about 39 years. But if you get a cost segregation study, maybe you can break out the pavement and cert certain lights and countertops and everything that has a much faster depreciation schedule on it. Well, that's really important. And then maybe a, uh, a similar question. I know our baby boomer generation is now thinking about retirement. Uh, these baby boomers are exiting their businesses. Those businesses, uh, they only exit once. They, so they want to be sure to do it right. I know you probably are consulted on a lot of the tax and accounting issues for those business exits. But can you talk about maybe some of the important points that if our business owner listening audience is thinking about exiting a business, what are some of the tax and accounting issues they should they should consider? Well, if these business owners are beginning to sell their business, it's more of a question, are they doing asset sales or stock sales? And then at the same token is kind of what that gain is going to be if it's a stock sale. And then also if they're selling the company, are they going to recognize this gain all at one time or over several years because they're doing some type of owner finance and then the implications to those um, installment gains on those. Well, so those are really some important points to, uh, to consider. Craig, if someone wants to get in touch with you or get in touch with Wilson Lewis, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. They can get contact us through our webpage at wilsonlewis.com, or they can call us here at our office at 770-476-1004. Well, Craig, it's been great having you on the show and, and certainly uh, uh, appreciate the expertise that you give your clients on accounting and tax issues. And I've certainly enjoyed working with you on mutual clients and I'm grateful that uh, Andrew introduced us. Thank you for inviting us on. In closing, if you want to keep up with the latest in pro business news, follow us on social media for the latest stories. If you want to listen to future profit sense podcasts, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is profit sense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.